Welcome to the Big Fundamental Spurs podcast, the Ken's Five podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Sonder. And Cameron, there wasn't a whole lot of action on the court, but there was plenty off the court drama to talk about. <laughs> So we figured, you know, why not hold a, uh, a little fun a little pod? Little fun if you pod, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not going to sing anymore. That was it. Uh, no, <laughs> that's two two podcasts back to back. That's true. That's uh, true. Offered it's, your it, vocal style. This, is a, this is a meme now. All right, so we'll tune into Cameron's uh, karaoke podcast after this. But first, let's talk about that one game the Spurs did play uh, since we last spoke, and that was against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, another overtime game. They win, though, 105-104 uh, against Sacramento, uh, completing the second win on this home homestand so far. Yeah, it was uh, really a wild game. It's sort of the kind of thing that the Spurs shouldn't rely on. The stat coming from uh, their PR guy, uh, Jordan Howenstein, uh, the Spurs trailed by at least eight points with under two minutes to go in each of the last two games, won both. Of course, they needed overtime uh, in both the Rockets game and the Kings game. The Spurs were the first NBA team in the last 20 years to win back-to-back games after trailing by eight or more points in the last two minutes of regulation. The Spurs are, there's some sort of pixie dust or something on them right now, and you know it'll probably wear off during this uh, six-day off stretch, uh, you know, six days off in between games. That, that, that fairy magical will, will disappear, but the Spurs had it going this past week. So I don't know the official stat, but I'm going to assume that no team has won three in a row coming back from uh, the, that kind of deficit. Yeah, if, no so. team's ever, if no team's done it in the last 20 years, I'm assuming, yeah, no team has ever done three in a row. So let's talk about a standout uh, performance from that game. That goes to LaMarcus Aldridge, returning back from an injury, missed th- the previous three games, and he comes back uh, firing on all cylinders, recording a double-double, 19 points. That was a team high, 13 rebounds, uh, just the performance that they needed to kind of to, to, to get back from what was a, a deficit in that fourth quarter. Uh, and he kind of was the engine driving the team uh, throughout the game, too. Yeah, that was just a really Spursy kind of win. And when you look at, you know, just sort of looking at the box score off the jump, the first thing that stands out to you, two starters in double figures, but four guys off the bench uh, recording 10 or more points. Aldridge was the leading scorer at 19. And when your team scores 105 and no one hits 20, that means you're getting some really nice balance. Uh, DeRozan had 15 points, but on 14 shots. Uh, Bryn Forbes just missed getting there with nine points, but then off the bench, Pirtle, 13 points, Mills, 13 points, DeJounte Murray, 14 points, and Marco Bellinelli, 11 points. The name you don't see there, though, is Lonnie Walker, right after his breakout. We thought this was going to be the, you know, the breakthrough performance against Houston. Yeah, I think a lot of people were thinking, you know, he's proven himself. Let's get Lonnie up to 18 minutes, 20 minutes a game. He only plays 12 minutes, um, but he kind of played himself out of the rotation there, shooting one for five, only registering those two points. Didn't really contribute anywhere else, had a few rebounds. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if this is just going to be a thing from him, if he's up and down, or if he can find some consistency uh, going forwards there. Uh, uh, You mentioned uh, DeMar DeRozan had only taken nine shots there in in, in the game game, but uh, he did contribute uh, with the playmaking, was the team leader, and assists that game. Uh, you like to see that. He thrived doing that last year, too. Um, to sum this game up in one word, it's drama, um, and that goes back a few games as well. I mean, this is two straight overtimes for the Spurs. This took an 11-2 run in the final minute, 50 seconds, and a game-tying final, game tying final second three-pointer from uh, none other than Marco Bellinelli to force overtime. There's definitely a, a segment of the Spurs fan base on Twitter that says Lonnie should be getting all of Marco's minutes. Marco shouldn't be playing at all. That, that's nonsense, and he, and he proved it in this game. Uh, the thing you have to remember is that the Spurs are trying to win games now, and Marco Bellinelli probably isn't going to be part of the Spurs' plans in you know two years from now, uh, whereas Lonnie Walker will still be under contract. He'll be a part of that team and presumably uh, uh, with a bigger role than what we're currently seeing uh, from the second-year wingman. So... 
Yeah, I, I think there is probably a good case to be made for increasing Lonnie's minutes, decreasing Marco's minutes a little bit, but you saw why Marco Belnelli can be a very valuable player. He kept the game alive for the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have a top 10 player in the league, this is kind of what you need to win games consistently. It's not just one role player at stepping up. It's one night when a role player is cold, another role player takes the mantle there. So if it's not Lonnie Walker one night, it's Marco Bellinelli another, Patty Mills has had games this season. That's kind of what you hope to see if you're a Spurs fan. You want to see some wins build up here. Get all of these role players involved, not just Lonnie Walker or Marco Bellinelli. It's not a polarizing thing there. Jackson, before we move on, you, you talk about role players, and right now, Jante Murray coming off the bench, playing a little bit of a bigger role than you know a traditional role player. But what's interesting is, is looking at this last game is uh, Derek White went 0 of 7, didn't score wow. as a starter in that game against uh, Sacramento. Uh, Jante Murray coming off the bench scored 14. I think that has a lot to do with the fit around those two guys, and uh, that's the reason that Dejounte. Uh, moved into the into the bench role while uh, Derek White getting the nod in the starting lineup. It's just who fits better when you're playing bench-heavy lineups versus starter-heavy lineups. Uh, DeJounte, I think, really thrives in that role. We'll see how much longer it stays, and as the Spurs continue to tweak their roster over the next few years and possibly even over the course of this season, I think we'll see more and more of DeJounte Murray. That minutes restriction will be coming off pretty soon. And uh, he's clearly the guy the Spurs are very invested in with that with that new contract earlier this year. Yeah, I mean, this is going back to, I think this is a Spurs team um, that doesn't have a lot of great players, but it has quite a few very good players, uh, above average players, who are going to contribute on a tonight basis. And you can sub them out depending on uh, how the rotation's going, how the matchup's going. Uh, it's good to see that when uh, one guy uh, is faltering, another guy like DeJounte Murray can step up. Um, this has been a drama-filled season so far, not just these last two games, but you talk about trade rumors, you talk about losing streaks. Um, I, I think drama in this sense is turning into a positive. You want players fired up after these close wins. You want players playing for something. You don't want them tuned out. Uh, and it seemed like over the last few games, at least, as they mark these comebacks as they play in overtime, there's a lot more fire on the bench. You see a lot more emotion. This is a team that, you know, is still kind of gelling. These are newer pieces kind of folding into the rotation. Uh, you forget DeJounte Murray never really played with DeMar DeRozan uh, until this year, and uh, there's some chemistry stuff there to figure out still. So. Yeah, it's a far cry from the 34-point loss to the Pistons we saw to, to start this month. Ugh. So it looks like the Spurs starting to get going again. Again, this this long break, a lot can change, but I do think the Spurs will, will look really good for the next couple of games after having that time to sort of get back together and practice. And this this six-day uh, stretch with in-between games is really unusual in the NBA. But you have to remember that the Spurs had played a ton of games to start the uh, the start of the season. At one point, uh, the Spurs, I think, had played as many games as anybody for as many days since the start of the season. So now that they're sort of returning to the, the average by having this nice little um, rest. Yeah, the season comes and ebbs and flows like that. Uh, while the Spurs are taking time off the court, let's turn our uh, attention to some off-the-court things that have uh, popped over the last few days, including the NBA completing the drama of the uh, Rockets uh, game there, that two-overtime win the Spurs had on December 3rd. Uh, you know, we talked about it a lot. That was a drama-filled game. Uh, just to kind of recap there, with seven minutes and 50 seconds remaining in that fourth quarter, Houston was up 18-20. Uh, uh, Harden takes a breakaway dunk. Um, he clearly made the dunk, but the refs waved it off. Um, you know, in the, in the moment, it kind of looked like it may have bounced off the rim, something kind of funky with that there. Um, the refs also said the Rockets couldn't challenge it. Uh, and then immediately after game, ESPN was reporting that the Rockets were adamant that the league would overturn the result, or the game would re be replayed, uh, and then they officially filed a protest. Well, Monday, the league came out and denied that protest. 
I don't think that's a surprise. I, I mean, I, the, we talked about it last time too. That would be um, a very rare thing for them to do. Uh, you know, kind of out of the ordinary for them to overturn a, a, a protest like that, overturn a, um, overturn an outcome like that. Yeah, the, the two things they were asking, they were asking for, and they were, I think the quote was, they were hopeful that either the NBA was just going to award them the win or that they would get the last eight minutes replayed. The, the problem is that the game wasn't just those last eight minutes, there was also the overtime. I think you can completely discount the idea that they were just going to be awarded the win. That's bananas to me. I mean, I can think of some stronger words, but this is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, this is a situation where the, the Rockets... Probably a little embarrassed by the the fact that they choked, really. And, you know, to put it bluntly, they, they blew a pretty big lead, double digits. Lonnie Walker just made their whole team look silly several times down the stretch of the fourth quarter. Obviously, the game got into overtime and then into double overtime. And that was sort of what Commissioner Adam Silver was getting at when he said, basically, the Rockets had chances to, to overcome that. Mm-hmm. It would be different if it was a last-second shot, you know, that, that you could say, oh, the game definitively hung on this one call or non-call. That, that wasn't the case here. There, this, you know, bad calls happen. This was a really bad call, and the NBA did say that they're going to you know, try to put things in place to make sure that this doesn't happen again, where a made basket gets not counted, because that's really bad. You can't have that. It just, you know, there are other bad calls that affect games all the time, and this is just this is just another example of it. Yeah, the the statement from the league there that you're hinting at with Commissioner Silver there was that the Rockets had sufficient time to overcome the error during the remainder of the fourth quarter and two subsequent overtime periods, and thus the extraordinary remedy of granting a game protest was not warranted. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean this this isn't a, a, a you know. They're not doing nothing here. They're, they're going to fix something. And they, in fact, disciplined the three refs for, quote, misapplying the coach's challenge. Uh, after the game, the ref had said, you know, there was issues as to why uh, Coach Mike D'Antoni for the Rockets couldn't have challenged that game. Uh, that turns out it wasn't the case. And so those refs are being disciplined. And then, yeah, the league is looking into um, how they could fix that. If the coach's challenge had been requested, and its replay would have shown the dunk was a successful field goal. How this issue can uh, kind of be avoided in the future is something the league's trying to figure out. Yeah, I think if this was a different maybe result, maybe if it was a... If it had been a closer game and, and the Rockets still had lost, you know, maybe maybe that dunk would have tied the game or put the Rockets up by three or four or something. If it was a close game at that time, I think there would be a little bit more sympathy in the court of public opinion because right now, everyone on Twitter, the, the sports blog blogosphere, I guess, uh, it, they're, they're clowning the Rockets for, again, and we talked about this last time, this is not the first time Houston has tried to sort of complain. It's kind of on brand for them. And uh, what I loved uh, last night, we're recording this here on Tuesday, so Monday night, the the saltiest, uh, you know, shadiest tweet from the Sacramento Kings because the Kings beat the Rockets on a last second uh, three by, uh, by Elitza who, by the way, dropped an F-bomb in the post-game press conference. That was awesome in and of itself. But uh, but Sacramento, their official Twitter goes, protest that, hashtag Kings for the win. I'm glad you brought that up. I had that tweet pulled up on my oh phone, my too. Goodness, so. That was just... Oh, my gosh. The uh, First of all, can we just talk about how great NBA team Twitter is? Because uh, th- this is going to be a meme for a little while now, is other teams uh, clowning on the Rockets, because the, the one earlier was uh, put the rest of the NBA on notice. I think that was the, the Lakers in the, in the preseason. Yeah. And then now anytime anybody beats the Lakers, which, by the way, hasn't happened very much, uh, that, that seems to be the joke. But uh, 
yeah, the, shout out to the Sacramento Kings social media guys. Good job. I remember a few years ago, the um, Rockets lost to the Mavericks, and Dallas Mavericks Twitter, their official page, tweeted the Rockets emoji with the gun emoji next to it. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. That guy was fired. But, uh, <laughs> there, there's a line. There's <laughs> yeah. a line, and, and teams do a really good job of, of towing it now. <laughs> The one, the one last night was fantastic. Yeah. So that's not the only off-court issue that's uh, been popping up over the last few days. Um, the Knicks, New York Knicks, fired their head coach David Fisdale after an abysmal start to the season. Twenty-two games in, uh, they were sitting last in the league in law and, and wins, um, and so that created an opening. Uh, and the rumors start swirling. The scuttlebutt, bringing back one of Cameron's favorite words, uh, starts swirling around uh, Spurs assistant coach Becky Hammond and uh, their interest in the job and also her interest in going to that team. Uh, CNBC's Jabari Young, who was a former Spurs beat writer, uh, was the one who kind of reported that there was mutual interest there. Um, I mean, this is a one of the big, this is the big market team interested in hiring the first female NBA coach, uh, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, would be a, kind of a, a big loss for the Spurs to lose uh, Hammond, uh, who has kind of been working her way. Uh, just going through the background there on Hammond, I mean, she started her WNBA career in New York with the Liberty in 1999, uh, came to San Antonio in 2007 and finished her career there. I mean, she's in the New York Liberty Ring of Honor, so she's one of these upper echelon 50 basketball players recognized in New York kind of kind of people. Um, so there is something interesting there about her going back there. Uh, but since she's been with the Spurs, she's worked her way to the first assistant role there. Uh, and it's kind of that, we saw it earlier in the season when Pop was ejected, uh, uh, kind of the three-headed monster of Tim Duncan, Will Hardy, and Becky Hammond ran the team there. But she's kind of the, the, the second voice on that team and has been there uh, alongside Greg Popovich longer than any other assistant coach on the team right now. Yeah, and she's, she's already sort of broken through with the Spurs in Summer League as the first uh, female head coach in the NBA Summer League. She's now in uh, year five or six with the uh, with the San Antonio Spurs but she she's been there's been rumors around her in other positions the 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 Bucks GM job I know when the Colorado State I think it was their men's basketball team uh, they needed a new head coach that's that's her alma mater this where she's from is uh, Colorado State so uh she's she's turned those down she's stuck with the Spurs she's worked her way up again starting kind of kind of starting from the bottom almost like as an almost a volunteer basis and uh, now one of the top assistants and it's unclear whether she is the next head coach of the Spurs. I know Greg Popovich isn't going to be there forever. I do think there would be some really nice symmetry in her becoming the, the head coach here and, and breaking through uh, with this team and this franchise and this city and, and being able to work with, obviously she still works with some of those guys that she, when she was the summer league head coach, when she made history and continues to work in the summer league and work with those young guys, because there, there will be a time where this, uh, this veteran group of Spurs is out the door. Greg Popovich is, you know, off sipping wine somewhere. And it's going to be on the next generation. I think Becky Hammond could really be the face of that next generation. The question is, is she willing to wait for that? Or does she want sort of the uh, immediate gratification of being that first female NBA head coach right now? Yeah, and uh, honestly, how long that wait will be remains to be seen. The Athletic came out this week and kind of said that Pop has given no indication that he's retiring anytime soon. We've talked about speculation that it felt like it might be the winding down of his career. He's got the 2020 Olympics. Uh, it kind of wrapped things up there. But he still has a, th he's on year one of a three-year contract. If he wants to keep going, Becky might be beaten to that first NBA female head coach position. Uh, and that's something that she's been working forward to. We've seen successors, apparent successors come and go here, uh, waiting it out. Like a Tory Messina came, 
uh, he was deemed as, oh, he could be the next guy there. Um, he couldn't last. Uh, he couldn't make that weight. Ime Udoka was another guy who was a long-term assistant coach. Maybe he's the next guy coming up. He goes to Philadelphia this offseason. Um, yeah, and if Becky Hammond leaves, that doesn't leave a lot of um, depth there on that assistant coaching roster. If Popovich was to retire, it's not going to be an inside guy who comes up and does that. And then you start looking at outside names there. Uh, one name that's been reported plenty of times is Bill Self, who uh, is the Kansas college head coach, longtime Kansas uh, college head coach there. He's been a friend of R.C. Buford. But this week he was denying rumors connecting him to the job on a podcast. So who knows where they go from here. Uh, and then yeah, if Becky does go to New York, what kind of opportunity is that for her? I, I think it's. I think Charles Barkley said it best, and that's. This might be the first time those words ever come out of my mouth, uh, because he just said it's a bad job. Uh, someone's going to give her a chance. Barkley told TMZ Sports, "Quote: I don't think she should take that job. Don't take a bad job." And I agree with him. The Knicks' job is a bad job, and it, it is one of the, or at least maybe used to be, one of the marquee franchises in, in the National Basketball Association, and. The, the history there, obviously getting to play at Madison Square Garden, there's a lot of eyeballs on you, but that organization right now is just not run very well. And to go from the Spurs to the Knicks and the consistency, and the Spurs have been considered that model franchise for the better part of the last two decades. Meanwhile, the Knicks can't even settle on, on a head coach. In the last seven years, Mike Woodson, Derek Fisher, Kurt Rambis, Jeff Hornacek, and David Fisdale have all come and gone in the last seven years. And the Spurs, I mean, seven years is practically the blink of an eye for them when it comes to roster, or at least the way they hoped for it to run. Yeah, I mean, and you, you listed that name there. I don't, I mean, what have those guys gone on to do? Have they gotten another head coaching position, another job there? There hadn't been a lot of opportunities. You go to the Knicks, you get fired. There's nothing there next. You go back to being an assistant well, coach. Or I mean, Derek Fisher got uh, opportunities in the WNBA, but... Yeah, and, and that franchise, just because of the... Uh, uh, the problem is the market they play and the expectation that they're always going to be at least somewhat competitive. They, they haven't been able to just embrace the, the tank the way they need to. They, they need to be bad, and I think this season their roster was built to almost be competitive. You, like they, If some things had broken the right way, maybe they thought they could have gotten an eight seed, but then you look at the way they built this roster, and we were joking about it before the season started. They have every power forward. They, they're just all power forwards and maybe one or two guards, and then also R.J. Barrett. It, it, it's, it's a mess. The, the, the fact that Kristaps Porzingis uh, left them was, was a big blow in a lot of ways similar to the way the Spurs have been trying to weather the storm of Kawhi Leonard leaving. And uh, we can get to that in a little bit. I, I do want to talk about that briefly. It's a, sort of something that's driving me batty. But uh, staying on the Knicks, yeah, it's there's just it's just such a weird situation because they're a bad team that refuses to accept that they're a bad team. So that's a bad team, uh, a, an organization in disarray. Um, we're talking a little bit before this podcast about what the Spurs' role might be post Popovich. I mean, it's a, we're a small market here. Uh, I think things have broken our way through to great leader, due to great leadership from Popovich, uh, having great draft picks turn out successfully, including Tim Duncan, David Robinson, R.C. Buford has kind of helmed this uh, build, the building this championship roster and things like that. Um, but is that something that's going to continue? Is that something that can be continued? And if Becky Hammond takes over a job uh, for the Spurs uh, in three years, five years, however long that's going to be, is that really going to be a better opportunity than New York? I'd say ask me this question again in about a year and a half to two years about small markets and superstars, because the Spurs, I think, sort of bucked conventional wisdom for a really long time that, you, you know, you can really, you, ha you need superstars to win. That's been, that's, that's a fact. And you can only get superstars to come to big markets. And Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, they were happy in San Antonio. 
the next real test case for this is going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee. He has revitalized basketball in that city. What he means to that city is so much more than just being the best player on their basketball team. Other NBA teams are already loading up for the summer of 2021 when he will be a free agent. They're all trying to clear max cap space, and that's going to be a real question. It's You could make the counter-argument. You can't make a general statement just based on the whims of one player, but what we're seeing right now is players are starting to go back to going to big markets again. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, even a guy like a Russell Westbrook who we thought was going to stay in Oklahoma City or Paul George who was going to stay in Indiana or Oklahoma City. They're all going to the, to the major markets. Jimmy Butler wanted to go to Miami. That's a major market. It's bad for the league if the only teams that can get free agents are Miami, the L.A. teams, maybe Chicago, maybe Houston, maybe one of the Brooklyn or New York teams. That's, if that's it, then, what, then you know, what are we doing here with having a team in Minnesota or having a team in Sacramento or having a team in San Antonio? What are we doing here? Joe, I know this, this is something that really gets Joe Reinagle going, and we can get him in here to, to rant on this as well. So I think to sort of answer that question, Jackson, the Spurs can put themselves in a holding position, but I also think if they're trying to get Giannis Antetokounmpo next summer or the summer of 2021, they're mistaken. I don't think he's going to come here. So do you just kind of keep rolling the dice and trying to build through the draft that's that's worked for the Spurs but I also think there's something to be said for trying to keep guys who uh who you can get you know reasonable reasonable targets and that's something that could come up very soon if uh DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge their contracts come and go and suddenly the Spurs are stuck in no man's land but yeah this is this is a situation where for now the Spurs are still a, a better franchise and still a more desirable place to go but depending on what some of this next round of free agents decide to do, if they decide they need to go to a big market and sort of flip back on its head, the, because the idea was in this last decade or so, you could, you know, you can be a superstar anywhere. Giannis can be a superstar in Milwaukee. Russ can be a superstar in OKC. That's maybe not true anymore. It seems like maybe the conventional wisdom was right. I don't know. You're naming a list of players who have moved around the carousel towards uh, big markets. Uh, and two names you did not mention were Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who avoided New York Knicks this, uh, this offseason there. <laughs> so it's not like idea. every big market team is striking gold. Uh, the Knicks have been striking out. Uh, yeah, the, the Bulls have been striking out. Br- Brooklyn is a big market team. But yeah, it's it's not uniform. And the Clippers for forever had been striking out uh, up until really this summer. They, they traded to get Chris Paul. They drafted Blake Griffin. They developed DeAndre Jordan. But before that, the Clippers couldn't get anybody. Let let me let me do my thing. That's that's driving me batty right cool. now. So this this is a little fun pod. We're not doing. We're obviously going a little bit shorter today than we normally would. But with the the way the Lakers have been successful this year, that's their success is driving me batty. And here's why. I might be misremembering this, but. As far as I know, there was basically an offer on the table to send Kawhi Leonard to the Lakers. And you could play the what-if game, and it's a blast to, to, to think about it. It's driving me crazy and driving me batty. What if the Spurs had actually just accepted that offer? Because the idea was we're not trading Kawhi to a Western Conference opponent. They really you know, shoehorned themselves a little bit by cutting the number of potential suitors in half. So let's say the Spurs accept a similar package than for what Anthony Davis went for. Suddenly, Anthony Davis can't go to the Lakers, and the Lakers maybe aren't as good this year. Maybe they won the championship last year with Kawhi and LeBron. The the whole shape of the NBA is so much different, and obviously the Spurs would be a very different team if they don't have DeMar DeRozan, because maybe they have, let's say they have Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball in a pick. What do you think of that team? What do you think of Kawhi then probably doesn't leave his current situation. He wanted to be in LA, so he doesn't go to the Clippers, which means Paul George doesn't go to the Clippers, which means Russell Westbrook probably stays in Oklahoma City, which means Chris Paul is probably still with the Rockets. The the domino effect is crazy. 
Another one I thought about, let's say maybe the Spurs had just done a little, something a little different with Kawhi, and uh, one suitor that I liked was Philadelphia at the time. Do the Sixers then win that matchup against the Raptors? Jimmy Butler probably doesn't end up going to Philadelphia. He might still be in Minnesota. Maybe he doesn't go to Miami. This, the, the, the domino, the steps down the line are crazy. I, I would want to know Spurs fans, uh, and you know, tweet at us at Big Fun Pod or at me at Cameron Songer. Let me know what you would have thought if the Spurs, if you take Demar Derozan off this roster right now and replace him and had replaced him with, say, Brandon Ingram, and maybe is there a way we could have done this trade while keeping Danny Green, knowing that knowing what we know about the Spurs last year and this year, uh, it, the seeing the Lakers' success and knowing that the Spurs could have in a way thwarted that by playing a slightly longer game is driving me batty. Yeah, tweet at Cameron, at Cameron Songer. Uh, he's got plenty of red string there. He is ready to, to figure out how this uh, butterfly effect works. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to make a second reference to this in the podcast history, but he is Pepe Silvia here, uh, always sunny. Uh, <laughs> you guys are fans there. So let me tell you what's driving me better. And this all kind of connects here. You mentioned, uh, you know, what if we hadn't traded Danny Green? Well, what if we hadn't traded Davis Bertans, who oh, dropped boy. 20 points for the eighth time this season uh, just two days ago? He recorded three 20-point games as a Spur. You like to see former Spurs thriving in, uh, in new environments, new organizations. That's something that doesn't happen very often. When we lost Jonathan Simmons, he kind of found his way onto the bench there in or- Orlando and couldn't find any minutes there. Uh, Boban Manjarnovic was never able to make that next step in Detroit and then ended up finding a home a few years later in L.A. and then uh, in Philadelphia. Um, but Davis Bertans is thriving, and... If there's one thing the Spurs could use right now, it's someone who's as deadly from the three-point line as Davis Bertans. Um, this goes back to you know all the Marcus Morris issues that happened this offseason, uh, trying to make room for him as a free agent and sending Bertans off. Um, be really nice to have him right now. Last time I checked, Morris was the, the leading scorer for the Knicks. Let me check if that's still the case. That tells you a lot about that franchise, though, that, that a guy that the Spurs were signing on to maybe be a sixth man slash you know, fifth starter uh, is now on a team and is leading them in score. Let me let me just double check that that's still the case. Yeah, Marcus Morris is still the leading scorer on the Knicks, followed by Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. They only have three guys who are averaging 10 points. Mitchell Robinson is fourth on that team with 9.2 points per game. So scoring is a problem. Defending is a problem. Coaching is a huge question mark for that team. Becky Hammond, don't go there. Yeah, stay, stay here, please. We're reading off these terrible stats to, to convince Becky Hammond to stay. <laughs> I mean, it, again, it, the idea would be that she would have a, a long-term deal there, but the, the ownership has shown no patience with any of these other coaches. What makes you think that just because you would be the first female coach in NBA history uh, that it would be any different? And you walk into a situation right now that's kind, kind of hopeless. Yeah, I mean, You really did- want Marcus Morris to be your leading scorer. Not if you're trying to win games and keep a job. Yeah, I mean, David Fisdale had a three-year contract and was fired 22 games into it. So, All right, Cameron, let's talk about what's next on the books here. We'll be uh, reconvening next week after the Spurs play Cleveland, Phoenix, and then a Rockets rematch that uh, we'll, we'll be sure to make headlines before and uh, after the game, uh, especially in the wake of all the drama behind it. And, of course, we'll be seeing much more of DeJounte Murray on the court. Apparently his minutes restriction has been lifted. Uh, so that's something to look forward to here in the next week. Yeah, the Cleveland game should be a fairly easy win. That team has a ton of problems. Might be trading Kevin Love pretty soon. That's some more NBA scuttle. But the Phoenix game is going to be played in Mexico City, which is always interesting. It's not a home game for either team, but the Spurs are are used to traveling, and I think 
Uh, the, the thing to watch will be the, the depth will be really important. Mexico City is at altitude, so the conditioning will be a big thing for the starters on both teams. And then that Rockets rematch, which I believe is going to be aired on Ken's 5. So uh, you can watch that game on Ken's 5 and on the Ken's 5 app if you're in the San Antonio area. That's right, Ken's 5 is your official TV station for the San Antonio Spurs here in the Alamo City. Well, Cameron, that's all I've got for today. Any other thoughts? Nah, man, I'm just really excited that, that the pod is back. This was supposed to be a little fun pod that turned into about a, a medium fun pod. Uh, we always have fun, though, obviously, just the uh, just in terms of length and what we thought was going to be the content, you know, was we were sort of planning this thing out saying, oh, there's only one game to talk about that should be pretty quick, get in and get out, and suddenly, you know, we just get rolling because that's what we do here on the Big Fun Pod. Yeah, I mean, the headlines are continuing to roll out of San Antonio, and we'll be there to cover them anywhere you listen to podcasts, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, and, of course, tune to Ken's 5 and kens5.com for all your Spurs coverage. We've got Joe Reinagle, Evan Klosky, we've got Vinny Vinzetta, David Flores is covering the Spurs online on kids5.com. He was at practice yesterday reporting from there. Uh, and, yeah, we've got it all covered here on Kids 5. So thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Peace.